All right, welcome to episode 28 of Seize the Moment podcast, and today we have a very special guest. We have Liz Dorval. She's back. Welcome, Liz. I'm back. (laughs) (laughs) And today we're going to talk about the prevalence of loneliness in the age of social media. Yep. Yes. So, hello, Liz. Hello. (laughs) How you doing? So, what's up, Liz? Not bad, you? (laughs) I'm pretty good. It's a good good Sunday morning. Sunday afternoon. And it's super, like, warm outside. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. All right, so Liz, you were telling us before about a book that you were reading about loneliness called Bowling Alone. So yes, I this is a book. Fun. Yep, and so like in just kind of for our audience and kind of psychology, in psychology circles and kind of even like in the kind of mainstream, the book has been pretty popular. I think since about the '60s or '70s, and interestingly enough, it's kind of been like um, it's sort of been the platform for us to understand social isolation for obviously these decades. And Liz, I mean, for Liz, it really impacted her from what she told us, and we wanted to obviously focus with her on some of the ideas that came forth from that book. Mm. Liz, what do you think? Uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, Bowling Alone was originally an article published by Putnam in. Uh, 95 and then after that article he expanded it into a full-length book that goes into more detail and it explores uh, increasing uh, increasing the, the, the increasing prevalence of uh, loneliness through the decades uh, because of this decrease in social capital uh, the there is uh, less so uh, social spheres that people uh, can gather in mm-hmm. and so it's it's been it's been slowly the it's oh i'm sorry uh it's hey i messed up too i hear you actually i wanted to ask what do you mean by like social spheres oh so you know it's uh he separates it from uh like trade unions uh religious organizations uh organized sports uh, and just places that people can go and meet each other and foster a sense of community. And when all of this declines, he goes further in saying that it impacts kind of the threat of democracy in a society mm-hmm. because people aren't uh, really engaging and cooperating with each other. It's yeah. this increase in individualism. Yeah, and how come he chose bowling? Like, why was that the theme of the book? Oh, right. So he uses bowling leagues as a main example to illustrate how uh, uh, organizations have been declining. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in the 60s and 70s, bowling leagues were incredibly popular. And then you see this decline where people are no longer bowling together. They bowl alone. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. That should be the sequel. <laughs> what? Bowling together. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the happily ever after. Yeah. <laughs> And what's so wild about that book is, like, seriously how prevalent it is. Like, I think mm-hmm. you wrote it when? In the 60s or something? Uh, the article came out in 95. Oh, ni- in the 90s? Oh, wow. What book yeah. am I thinking about then? Crap. Then I don't know. Never mind. Wow. That was a blunder. But even still, even the 90s, I mean, I think that's still pretty significant. So, Liz, from your perspective, how do you feel like social media, if at all, contributes to loneliness? Uh, social media hasn't... like it's not the root cause of increased loneliness in society Mm -hmm. uh the book really really goes into how it really kind of started declining in the 60s uh that being said social media has definitely exacerbated the problem it's really accelerated it Mm -hmm. and how so uh well i can give a couple of examples Mm -hmm. uh so I'm going to focus on millennials for now. We can definitely have a talk about intergenerational loneliness, mm-hmm. but I mean, for example, um, our demographic, uh, a third of millennials report being lonely. Mm-hmm. Wow. A third. Mm-hmm. And a quarter of millennials are unable to name a single friend. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, it's staggering. Mm-hmm. Is this like in the United States or? This is in the United States. Mm. Yeah. Uh, we can, uh, I mean, this is this is a global problem. I can, you know, get into uh, the loneliness epi- epidemic in Japan. Mm-hmm. That's a whole different thing. Uh, but yeah, this is this is a uh, this was reported in the U.S. Wow, damn. Because here's the thing: I used to think that, um, like, at least loneliness um, living in New York, mm-hmm. since there's so many people here, yeah. it's such a densely populated area. Mm-hmm. And mm. you you know about Dunbar's number, right? No, what's that? 
So for anyone who's never heard of Dunbar's number, mm -hmm. uh, people are used to living in um, groups of 50 to 100 to 150 mm -hmm. people, yeah. the maximum 150. And they call it, I believe it's called 150 person icon consciousness, something like that. Mm -hmm. Long story short, the idea is um, people usually, uh, like back in the day, people used to live in groups of like 150 people mm -hmm. and everybody knew who each other was. They knew everything that was going on in their lives. They were a tribe, right? Mm -hmm. If you live in a densely populated area like New York, mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many people that it's like kind of hard to know someone. I mean, unless you have people close to you in your family and the way it's structured mm -hmm. is that you, you know people. Right. But otherwise, there's so many different people that like, let's say you get on the train, mm -hmm. you're going to be on the train with a bunch of people you've never met before. Right. And probably most likely every single day that you get on the train. Mm -hmm. and, there, and sometimes you might see the same people, but most likely not. Yeah. So it kind of feels very isolating in that sense, because it's not so uh, well knit as like those um, those tribes of 150 people yeah. and stuff like that. So, I mean, I imagine that certain towns, there are people who know each other, mm -hmm. right? But then places like New York, like cities, um, especially with social media, you're not going to, you're not going to really uh, know everyone. You're going to get to know people on the internet who don't necessarily exist near you. Right. But then it's not the same kind of relationship as somebody who would be right, right next to you. Yeah. Yeah. And so, Liz, what do you think about that? Like the fact that even though we're more connected than ever before, it seems like more and more we're also more isolated. If not more isolated, at least as isolated as we've always been. Well, I mean, uh, I really like what Alan said because we are evolutionary wired to only have the bandwidth to support 150 connections, mm -hmm. quality connections. Mm -hmm. uh, when you're mostly communicating through social media and you have a thousand friends, yeah, you're kind of going back and forth with each other, but you're not really sen uh, fostering the sense of uh, intimacy and trust. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so it can be very shallow yep. and very rapid. And it's, it's not like, you know, you have these 1,000 friends, but are they going to help you move? Are they going to help you in a time of personal crisis? Can you trust them with something intimate and important to you? Yeah. And... Nine times out of ten, you can't. So you, you're not really you're not really getting that connection, that uh, that that quality connection that really results in a true friendship. So because it's all kind of cheap, I think that really kind of drives that sense of isolation and loneliness because you're not you're still not getting what you need, and your mind kind of goes into this kind of sense of of panic mm -hmm. because it's like why why aren't I feeling better when I'm communicating with all these people? Yeah, it's yeah. quantity over quality essentially. Yeah, you would think that when you have so many connections that you're connected to so many different people mm -hmm. that you'd be more fulfilled actually because mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. more people, right? Yeah. Um, but. If you don't really, tr like, what does it mean to know someone, mm -hmm. to really know someone? That's a really good question. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, uh, speaking to Liz's point, right? Like somebody who will help you move, somebody who kind of cares about um, when you have like a deep issue. Mm -hmm. Sometimes if you don't know somebody so well, to bring up something very serious mm -hmm. might just put them off, yeah. you know? Uh, not on purpose. It's not like it's anybody's fault. Yeah. But yeah, unless it's somebody that you really are close to, you're mm -hmm. not going to, those things that really matter, mm -hmm. they're not going to necessarily come up. Yeah. But um, is it impossible to foster deep connections, even in the age of social media? I don't, I don't think it's impossible. I just think it's more challenging. But you know, I think it's a challenge. Yeah. You know what's also interesting, what I found like with writing my blog, is that so a lot of the times, and for me this is kind of a problem, I guess, in a sense, because I've used it as a replacement for intimacy. So like for me, look... You know, kind of just to be honest, I've struggled with pretty much vulnerability for the majority of my life. And so I kind of use this blog, right, to talk about these deeper aspects of myself that I necessarily wouldn't talk to even probably some of my friends about. And so for me, what I actually found is that when it comes to social media, when it comes to just random people on the internet, like I've gotten pretty decent feedback from, like, you know, the stories that I've shared about my life. So I think obviously on the one hand, social media is super shallow, like just obviously as regular kind of your ordinary relationships are, unquestionably. But I also think for me, for a lot 
lot of it is that like I was able to also um, not necessarily foster deeper connections, but definitely have these sort of intimate dialogues with just people I would have never met otherwise. And so for me, I felt accepted on a deeper level, whereas I probably wouldn't have like, let's say in the real world and not because of the people in my life, but just because of my own unwillingness to sort of put myself out there to that extent. So isn't that interesting, mm-hmm. right? So that's like kind of counter to that isolation, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's finding some, that's actually finding connection on the internet, yeah. which is, I think is interesting as well. Uh, I guess that, that that's not talked about a lot, is it? Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know. Dennis talked about that on our show. Remember when we talked about mental health blogging? That was yeah, that's pretty, true. Yeah, pretty much his point. Yeah. So Liz, we had this um, we had this really good writer on named Dennis Rolojo Hal, and so he pretty much so he's like a mental health blogger like me, and so he talked about like how for him it was like this really great and deep thing that helped him kind of feel more acceptable. And so what we also find a lot of times on the internet, especially, is that when people are like, oh, and a great example of this is like, Ugh. and I don't mean like to obviously stigmatize everybody in this sort of place, but whatever, people living in the deep south, right? So let's say if you're in the deep south and you're kind of a minority in some sort of respect, a lot mm-hmm. of times people find those deep connections online because they can't have them in their communities. So I've always thought that that was a really cool part about sort of just life. That like they could sort of, I don't know, relate to people in, let's say, New York or like, I don't know, Maine or whatever. Point is somewhere further up north or even in California, whereas sort of in their own communities, it's like, oh, we don't accept you obviously because you're gay. You know, if you had an abortion, you're like this evil person. And so it's very easy to get clustered in that community and think to yourself like, wow, I must be a bad person because the majority is telling me that I am. Whereas if you kind of go online and you see like, wait, holy shit, no, these people are all wrong. Yeah. Oh, right. Uh, you have it get finding, uh, you know, support and a sense of community is, you know, there, that's, that's one positive aspect of, of social media. It's not, it's definitely not impossible to foster close connections online. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a double-edged weapon, right? Like the internet, it it can be the greatest. I mean, I think it's actually one of the greatest inventions ever as far as no, a hundred, a hundred percent. Yeah. 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 But um, it comes with its own like pros and cons. Mm-hmm. But I suppose the reason why we're having this conversation is to see maybe how to, well, one, to recognize any kind of issue. Yeah. But then two, maybe see if there's any sort of solution to it. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. And, and so, because I think before, I don't want to jump in too much into the solution part yet. No, no, yeah, no yeah, yeah. not yet, no, of course. And then so for Liz, you were telling us before, obviously, and I mean, as because we know Liz personally, we know that she's not on social media, and you, <laughs> <laughs> or at least for the most part. Oh, yeah, yeah. this is the last thing. So, <laughs> yeah. And so you were telling us before your reasons, and I would wonder, would you be comfortable with sharing them with our audience? Oh, sure, absolutely. Uh, so, yes, I quit social media Mm -hmm. and there wasn't one singular reason why I did it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I can list off some reasons. One, it was, uh, incredibly time consuming and I felt very anxious and on edge a lot. If I posted something and then someone would respond in a negative way and I felt like I was giving a lot of emotional energy to that and it was just something that I didn't need. Uh, the, uh, the way that our data is bought and sold mm-hmm. and the longstanding privacy issues, especially after uh, Cambridge Analytica and the 2016 elections and all of that, yep. uh, that kind of gross violation is was very uh, unsettling to me. And I felt like I wanted to have... Uh, better substance in my life Mm -hmm. and all of these things combined I just kind of got off of it and I didn't give any kind of warning I know that some people when they like go on like a Facebook fast and they quit and you know they'll they'll throw up a status just like I am I am uh, deleting my Facebook in, in one month, and then I am reminder I'm deleting my Facebook in, in two. I know weeks. somebody like that, and you know, like, and here's Fuck all like, of you, and here's like all of the ways that you can contact me, up to and including like passenger pigeon, and like people yeah. are just like like that, and I was like, oh, like fuck, it. I'm just I'm just getting rid of this. <laughs> and I, I end up getting like concerned, like. Yeah. Just like, are you okay? What happened? And I'm like, I'm fine. 
Like, and (laughs) some people were coming up with like different theories of like why I left. Like someone asked if I would, if like Facebook banned me for like political activities. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was like, like, no, I just, I just left. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was also like, uh, I worked as a social media coordinator. Mm -hmm. So I was sitting on it all day and then having to like, you know, come home and feel obligated to like, you know, open it and, you know, tell everybody how my day was, was just like, it was too much. Mm. And I, I mean, I'll be blunt here. I'm sorry. Like for the majority of people that were on my social media, mm-hmm. like I couldn't give a damn how their day was and they couldn't give a damn about how my day was, mm-hmm. you know, it was just, it really wasn't worth it. <laughs> yeah. And how's your life been since? Uh, it's been pretty pretty good I, I i feel like i've i've definitely gotten a lot more social and i i do things like a like talk to people directly about yeah. hanging out and i go outside mm-hmm. and i read books and you know if i don't want to hear all the uh political chatter i don't have to i just walk away i don't you know i don't get any notifications on my phone or anything yeah uh it's been uh the biggest difference I found is that my anxiety went down mm-hmm. and I feel more independent. Mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like I don't have to put on a show for other people every day to prove how like well I'm doing. Yeah. I don't have to. I don't have the desire or the need. And it's it's very liberating. And do you feel like for you it could have been a stepping stone? Because I know that happens sometimes, let's say for people like me, obviously, but I just mentioned, like for people who struggle with intimacy, like for me, I feel like just the blogging itself is like a stepping stone to intimate connections. So like when I blog, right, and sort of I get decent feedback, I'm like, oh, holy shit, like people aren't going to judge me in the way that I thought. Now I could maybe tell this stuff to some of my friends or like somebody I'm dating and I'll probably get a similar reaction. So I wonder if for you, you think that it's possible for social media in that respect kind of way, or rather in your life, if that was the case, or could have been the case that social media was like a stepping stone for you to put yourself out there as well <clears throat> like put myself out there in the real world yeah like sort of to start yeah. social- mm-hmm. like it's I- like kind of like you deleted it because now it's like it served its purpose you no longer need it anymore oh that's a really that's a really good way to put it yeah i suppose so mm-hmm. i yeah i mean i didn't really think about it that way but i think you're right yeah, it's like we will go from the virtual likes to likes in the real world. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you get real likes. You get real likes, right? Yeah. People are like, oh, I really like you. you like them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> and it's like you can internalize them rather than have them on some digital platform. Mm. Yeah, like like friends. Yes, but- yeah. <laughs> actual friends. What? What? No. Um, you like know- actual friends. not virtual friends so i i mean liz actually i could really relate to you as far as how draining it was to always post on social media i feel like it's Mm -hmm. like a draining of like certain resources like of your time to really you know put something out there at least in order to get likes you know what i mean in in the sense of like you kind of want um somebody to react to something that you put up Mm mm-hmm um, so I used to do that actually back in the day, mm-hmm. but it was so, um, I don't know. It's weird. It's like a certain thought process behind it where you're like, I'm going to post this. I hope this gets this many yes. likes or whatever. Uh-huh. And it's like, you're hinging your, your happiness and other people's validation for just something that you post. Yeah. Yes. And self-esteem. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was also just even and even if it didn't really affect my self esteem, there were times that I was mature enough to even process that it's not going to affect my self esteem. Mm-hmm. But then even then, it's just like still, it's like a, a use of your time for something that, I mean, I don't know, it doesn't have any real impact on your life. Mm-hmm. Not 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 so much, maybe in minute little ways, mm-hmm. right? Um, but then I still use social media. Like I still have my own Facebook account. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like every once in a while, I'll, I suppose I'll browse it, mm-hmm. right? So maybe in that sense, it's a waste of time mm-hmm. unless I see something I like, right? Yeah. But um, I don't have the same relationship I used to where I would just constantly post in order to get likes. I would just maybe yeah. if I see something I like, an article, something new happened in science, I'll just like share it. Oh, so the but point I don't really care about the likes anymore. Right, right. So the point is to share information with people. 
Yeah, and then, oh, and then another thing is, um, there were things I used to, well, once upon a time, back in 2012, mm. around the whole, Long you know, time ago. Yeah, yeah. well, <laughs> not too long ago, it depends, but, yeah. right, so around that time, I would share a lot of, like, those memes where it's like, you can do it, oh. or like, like, <laughs> the like, the motivation stuff, yeah. and for me, it was a great time in my life where I, like, discovered that stuff, and I loved it, right? Yeah. But then I realized, like, whoa, why am I sharing this with, because I used to think, like, no, I want other people to be, like, influenced by these memes the way I am yeah. like whoa it's worth the age of music hang now. in there kitty yeah like stuff like that little kitty uh-huh. cute but anyway um, yeah and but I realized that people didn't like that not a lot of people like that or resonated with that right yeah. mm-hmm. um, then then I realized like hey if I'm gonna post stuff like that mm-hmm. at least have my a page mm-hmm. that people who would like that page would want to see those posts yeah on my own file with like 300 whatever however many different friends 500 whatever yeah uh, for them to see like these things that I kept posting that personally were interesting to me, mm-hmm. uh, it was. You could say it's good to share what's personally interesting to you, right? Because mm-hmm. you're putting yourself out there. Yes. But another level, it's like, hey man, like half of these people are not into this. Why not just make something where people who are into it would then like it, or at least it would come up in their feed. So uh, oh, uh, posting Mark Zuckerberg already thought of that, and that's why it's like. Uh, the news feed has changed to more like group oriented activity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So That's Facebook also... is dying, but I like the groups on Facebook. Like oh, sometimes if you find a, yeah, uh-huh. if you find, we're in, we're in one, we're what? in a few. What are we in? Uh, what uh, is the, one of the ones is like positive psychology. Oh, okay. I mean, I guess like I'm in it literally, but not like actually. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. But then even to gravitate towards groups like that, at yeah. least you find something like, it's like, oh, there's a community of people who are interested in like a certain maybe topic that you're interested. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I, I'm in like a Joe Rogan experience podcast group mm-hmm. and then they share the most hilarious memes like Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself yeah. memes and that's just <laughs> hilarious. Oh, damn it. Yeah. I gotta Those memes are so good. I'm gonna invite you later. Uh, to the Joe Rogan yeah. one? Yeah. Okay, so Liz, I have, a, <laughs> I have a two-part question for you. Okay. Okay, so in terms of Bowling Alone, what was the author's name? Robert Putnam. Oh, yeah. So Robert Putnam, right? So in your understanding, how is it that he diagnosed or rather... When you say that individualism, um, okay, let me see how I can ask this question. When you say that individualism is pretty much the source of kind of the loneliness epidemic, right? I'm wondering how is it that he linked the two concepts together? And then also, how do you see individualism manifesting in social media? Uh, So the individualism is really just people kind of retreating into their own personal spheres Mm -hmm. and not going out and interacting with other people. Mm -hmm. Uh, The U.S. has always been a very individualistic society. But there was there was still some some kind of a uh, uh, kind of camaraderie and cooperation mm-hmm. with each other, which is how a uh, healthy democracy functions. Mm-hmm. Uh, after people started kind of retreating from that and and really a- uh, acting kind of kind of alone, they didn't need to uh, you know uh, interact with other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like the culture really kind of celebrates that kind of quality, yeah. even though it is not necessarily helpful yeah. or healthy. And when people think that that's a norm and that's how you should behave, it kind of it it kind of festers and grows. Mm-hmm. And uh, now you know with the invention of the internet as wonderful and beautiful as it is uh people don't really see the need to do that anymore and especially i i find our uh generation fascinating because we are really the last generation to grow up and have most of our formatively formative years Mm -hmm. uh without social media and before the internet became ubiquitous. Uh, the very last ones, no one is ever going to experience that again. They have no frame of reference of how it was before. Mm-hmm. And they're going to think that this kind of uh, internalization and mostly communicating through a screen is just how it is. And they'll, they're going to uh, lose the ability to connect with other people and to be uncomfortable outside. Mm-hmm. And that's a really huge one. And we're prone to it. 
uh, Gen X and the boomers are prone to it. Mm-hmm. When you're in, you know, when if like you're going to a party and you feel like a little weird and uncomfortable and you just like, you know, just pick up your phone, and you start browsing through it just to kind of remove yourself from the situation. So you could be in a group of people and then completely isolate yourself because yeah. you don't feel comfortable. And but you have you have an easy way out. You have your phone. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're like it's 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 like exercise. We're kind of losing that ability to just talk to other people even if we don't want to. Mm-hmm. And if we lose that ability, uh the younger generations don't stand a chance. Mm-hmm. They don't. And it's not their fault. Yeah. That's it's interesting. Literally yeah. the only world that they know. Yeah, and it's like, who would actually teach them how to socialize if we don't know how to socialize? And here's the thing. Every time I tell them to get off their phone, uh-huh. you know, to like... Okay, boomer. Exactly. <laughs> Shit, he knew where I was going with this. Yes. That's what they say to me. Yeah. They say, okay, boomer. I'm like, damn it. Okay, boomer. <laughs> no. We, we got to come up with a comeback for that. <laughs> oh, God. We, I'm not a boomer. <laughs> I know. Hey, you're a boomer. You're a boomer. Okay, boomer. <laughs> so, in terms of social media, do you think that it somehow, like, it, um, I guess what's the word I'm looking for? It in some way kind of fosters individualism, or do you feel like we become more rigid and more rugged in our individualism through social media, or it makes it much more or much easier for us to manifest those traits through social media? Uh, it definitely makes you want to be more individualistic because if you have an edgy opinion, you get more likes, you get more clicks, you get more attention Mm -hmm. and, you know, just, you know, posting something like I had a great day with my friends. Mm -hmm. Like that's not, you know, that's, that's not going to grab your attention. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people are trying to be as, uh, interesting as possible. Mm-hmm. It's a facade, and uh, how do how am I going to phrase this? Uh, it's like on Instagram where everyone is like a little mini celebrity. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's 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 definitely, and I mean we can we can talk even more about how it you know encourages narcissism Ooh, what are your thoughts on that it encourages narcissism (laughs) (laughs) brilliant (laughs) right so and it's like all of those sort of traits of individualism or whatever even sort of i guess you can call it narcissism too in some sense because narcissism isn't technically a bad thing it just means pretty much a self-obsession right which not necessarily a good thing or a bad thing it just i guess it is what it is but the point is that with individualism it seems like if let's say if we were interacting with people i think some of those kind of more I guess more baser or primitive or more primitive urges, we would kind of at least tame them when we're in the society rather yeah. than like, yeah, rather than online when we're like, we could just be whatever without any sort of, with impunity actually, that yeah. we could kind of say and do whatever we want to serve our own kind of base desires and our own needs or whatever you want to call it. That's why people are jerks online because they can be, Yeah. but you know, they're not going to be, they're going to, they're not going to be those kind of jerks in, in real life, you know, in, in, in the real world. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're uh, if you're argumentative and and you're a narcissist, like your friend group is gonna is gonna dump you pretty fast. Yeah, you know, they're not gonna be they're not gonna want to be around you. But you know, if if you have this uh, if you post edgy shit on social media, yeah, people are gonna follow you just because you know it's entertaining because they can just kind of like tune you out whenever they want. Mm-hmm. And you know, they don't have to deal with you on a personal basis. Right. It's just like you know. I think everyone, like, follows someone who is uh, particularly argumentative and, uh, and, uh, yeah, argumentative and uh, calling them, like, a villain wouldn't be the right word. (laughs) Self-indulgent? Self-indulgent and just... Like, aggressive. Yeah, Mm -hmm. because... Yeah, like everyone, like I feel like everyone follows someone like that just to post like popcorn gifs and just see where where it goes. Like mm-hmm. you know the fight in the comment section. Yeah. But yes, yeah, it's, it's the whole world. You know, can't can't be like world star. Yeah. <laughs> so. so I'm gonna be devil's advocate here Shoot. for a sec because he's argumentative. See and aggressive. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, what you gonna call it? Yeah, no, I, I like. 
in the sense, so I see how it's created a big problem. Like everyone's kind of thinking that they're a celebrity, like a mini celebrity, let's say on Instagram, right? Yeah. But I feel like the sense of autonomy that the internet has given individuals yeah. mm-hmm. is actually kind of empowering too, because everyone's kind of like a mini king or queen. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. But hear, hear me it. out. I hear it. Because, because you feel like kind of like you have this sort of sense of... Um, uh, sovereignty on the internet that you don't have in the real world mm-hmm. and uh-huh. getting to exercise that um, for a lot of the people who feel powerless in like their actual life mm-hmm. is uh, it is very interesting what it does to their psyche mm-hmm. now a lot of people are going to be nutty little tyrants mm-hmm. and dictators on the on the internet of course mm-hmm. So I think that is a huge problem, mm-hmm. and I do agree with you guys as far as that goes. I'm not like being devil's advocate, like saying you, you better know. not be. Yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> but what's gonna call it? Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, uh, but there is something to that um, that autonomy uh, because, for example, like the fact that you could create your own blog and post it on the internet, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. How amazing is that? You you put out your own content. You're kind of in control of what you do. There's no yep. gatekeeper mm-hmm. who is mm-hmm. telling you like, oh, you need to go through me in order to get your um, info out there, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. And like, I, there's nothing necessarily wrong with gatekeepers, mm-hmm. but I feel like when there is no gatekeeper, yeah. the, the... It's more authentic. The, well, yeah, and also there's opportunity there, mm-hmm. right? Like, um, let's say somebody like Rogan, Joe Rogan, mm-hmm. right? His show, uh, if he wanted to do a show back in the day, he'd have to sign with some company like yeah. uh, Sirius XM, for example. Or, or Viacom was the big one. Or Viacom, yeah. mm-hmm. whatever. And then they have their own rules yeah. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Beyond that. <clears throat> um, you got to toe the corporate line. Yeah, yes. and there's the FCC yeah. and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, they just won't let him be. <laughs> I mean, I'm referenced. But anyway, <laughs> whatchamacallit. Yeah, so... Uh, being able to kind of do your own thing mm-hmm. um, is is bu- is a nice thing mm-hmm. as far as that goes. Yeah. But is it abused like crazy? Do people kind of live in their own echo chambers? I was too? thinking the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Is there like a whole issue with that too? Because then you don't hear like too many opinions outside of what you're... Yeah. And you can easily dismiss them when you do hear them. Like, especially, like Liz just said. Yeah. yeah. And it's like especially on social media, what I think <coughs> happens is like in a community, like um, well, what you were saying before, is in the community what would happen is either a person would be ostracized or they would in somehow or in some way be... Um, whatever, for lack of a better term, kind of socially punished, right? So something would happen to them that would say, like, whatever you're doing or whatever you're saying is highly inappropriate. Whereas on social media, people say that it's very easy to tune them out and then just to sort of focus, you know, kind of with confirmation bias the way it is. Focus on all of the praise that you're getting from people for being a rebel and edgy and sort of being the one to kind of stand up and be the leader. So it's very easy to kind of easily silence the people who are critics, right? And by the way, it's obviously not that simple because sometimes critics are assholes, right? It's not, you know, kind of like all criticism shouldn't be taken seriously but the point is that some criticism should be taken seriously and you have these kind of highly like high level narcissists or highly i guess highly narcissistic people online who just don't take any criticism seriously where they're just like yeah like fuck you you're like on the far right or even on the far left whoever it is and we just easily dismiss them and say because you're on this other team then nothing you say actually matters and there's no reason for me to actually consider what you're saying and so the big kind of struggle with social media is I don't know if, like, Liz, if you agree with this or if you think that this has been the case, but it's actually been a pretty big divider for people. And I would assume pretty pretty <clears throat> big in terms of contributing to loneliness and sort of separating the kind of bigger communities that we were once a part of. Oh, no, I, I completely agree. Uh, that's, oh, Mike, we're going to open a huge can of worms. Yes. When we're going <laughs> to, <laughs> when we're going to uh, talk about kind of shutting ourselves off from differing opinions. And that's one of the reasons why, uh, we're, uh, the current political sphere is so volatile Mm -hmm. (laughs) and there are such stark political divisions Mm -hmm. is that there's no, there's no reason to find any kind of middle ground because you're just going to hunt for the type of information that you want. Uh, and consume any kind of disinformation that other people want to put out there. It's, yeah, it's a, it's, it, you know, it's the social media and the internet has evolved so quickly that we didn't even realize that it's been weaponized mm-hmm. and we have no idea what to do with it. Yeah. 
What did you think about the backlash that Ayanna Presley got for endorsing Elizabeth Warren? Because apparently she was supposed to side with the squad and endorse Bernie Sanders. Uh, <laughs> crazy, man. Crazy shit. I, yeah, I, I read about that, and it's... I love both of them. Yes! You know? So it's like... <laughs> yes! They're, like, virtually the same person. And it's like, but there are these, like, purity people who are like, no! Like, she's not a socialist, and she's not endorsing Bernie, so we're against her now. She sort of backstabbed the squad and kind of our whole sort of way of thinking. It's so wild, man. Those Bernie bros give, give Bernie supporters a bad name. I know. Like, just... And why, like, why is she obligated to side with the rest of the squad? Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. I don't know. It's like, like, it's like loyalty for some people is purity. Like, if you're loyal to me, then you have to be, then you have to agree with me on everything. So it's mm -hmm. like loyalty pretty much is encompassed by sort of a plethora or a full-blown agreement with everything a person says or does. It's kind of like a mob mentality or like a mafia mentality. Like if you're sort of working, like if you're a, I don't know, whatever. If you're like um, a foot soldier and you're working for the Don and, you know, you're pretty much like, no, I love him. You know, he's like the best. He's like the greatest person ever. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> so you're pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Everything yeah. is viewed in black and white. Yeah. Everything. There's absolutely no nuance allowed. Yep. Nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's. <sighs> And if there's no nuance, and everything pure, and especially in politics, everything is shades of gray. Everything. Mm. Yeah. And there's no way to have any kind of substan like, uh, substantive conversation mm -hmm. if you can't discuss those nuances. Yeah. I'll tell you what, we did find one little solution to that. Mm. So people like uh, Andrew Yang and Bernie Sanders went on Rogan's podcast. Yep. And over there, it's a long form conversation. There's no, there's no sound bites there. There's no yeah. none of that whole uh, clickbait thing going on. It's literally a full blown conversation mm -hmm. with pretty thoughtful questions being asked and mm. like a back and forth. Yeah. And I think we need more of that actually. Yeah. That's really yeah. we re we really should and people need to learn how to have uh, a good attention span again mm -hmm. so they can sit down and listen to it and think about it. Oh, but here's the thing. Actually, uh, the, okay, I got excited there for a second. So the fact that... Yes? The fact that things like Rogan's podcast mm -hmm. are popular, mm -hmm. that means actually that there is a demand for yes. long-form conversations, mm -hmm. which was previously misunderstood. We, I think uh, marketers in general underestimated what it is that people um, kind of want or what they yearn for. Right. And actually, the fact that they do accept a medium like podcasts in terms of like being an hour, two hours, three hours, mm -hmm. even as long as four hours. Rogan has done something like that before. Mm -hmm. And people really, millions of people actually listen to stuff like that. So I think it's just a matter of, um, I think it's a matter of time, actually. Because, for example, if you look at, uh, I'm really harping on Rogan specifically here, but whatever. If you look at his show now example. compared to 10 years ago, mm -hmm. the amount of people who are listening now compared to then mm -hmm. is, it's in the millions. Yeah. Um, so, I think it is just a matter of time um, before his show and other shows that will be featuring the kinds of nuance that we kind of um, didn't know we craved it'll have its own momentum it'll have its own influence on us like it just um i don't think it's something that's instant yeah unfortunately i would love for there to be mm -hmm. like this one thing that happens that kind of galvanizes people mm -hmm. um well, that's kind of like wishful thinking what i like about what you're saying is that we're pretty much we're shifting into the solution section yeah and so i think that's definitely a great a great kind of piece of advice for us right to sort of hear or to have kind of long di or long form dialogues where we hear kind of not necessarily even opposing views because technically like Andrew Yang and Bernie are not even like that far apart even with Tulsi Gabbard as much as hated as she is she's actually not as like liberal as people actually think she well not as I mean as far left as people think she is so she's well actually, didn't she cancel a rally to go speak on Fox News 
Yeah, she did. So technically, yeah. yeah. So she's now using Fox News as obviously a platform, you know, for for targeting other Democratic candidates. So I mean, look, it's a shitty strategy, obviously, because it's pretty unethical from her perspective. <laughs> it's obviously brilliant because she's like, yeah, why wouldn't I use this platform to attack other people? So if I had to guess, what I think she's doing is now she's targeting independent voters. But whatever, yeah. that's like a conversation in itself. So I mean, uh, just just as a little aside on that. Mm-hmm. May, yeah, there's probably some kind of purpose to that, no, right? So I, I get brilliant. it. If, like Liz, it sounds like you probably don't necessarily like that she canceled her rally. Like, if I'm not mistaken, that's kind of the vibe I'm getting. But uh, like, yeah, I, guess <laughs> I feel like I feel like what she did was pretty transparent. I kind of yeah. rolled my eyes when I read about that, but. <laughs> But then again, just to, I don't want to necessarily make an excuse for her, but again, just to be devil's advocate, and kind of Leon just basically said this anyway, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. maybe it's ne- maybe she thinks it's necessary, like strategically, just like as far as uh, how many people she's gonna kind of be able to um, speak to, so to speak. No, oh, it's right? definitely necessary. Oh, for, for sure. She's, yeah, yeah, she's in desperation mode. Anything is necessary. But the point is that, like, do you put aside your morals for literally for winning an election? Yeah, but yes, morals. You do. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because they're uh, they like to do sound bites and manipulative. Yes, I, I yeah. hear you, but uh-huh. so does every news. That's not true. No, no. MSNBC does not do that. They're definitely like. Um, don't get me wrong. They're more liberal, obviously, and so is CNN. But the point is that they don't they don't manipulate. So the whole fake news garbage. It's actually more geared toward Fox News than it is in any in terms of any of the other news stations. So they don't do stuff like that. That's what I'm saying. And the only reason why they had Tulsi Gabbard on is literally because they used her to attack fucking Hillary Clinton, who's like not running and hasn't been running in years. <laughs> crazy so it's like pretty much they're using each other which i guess is cool but the point is that her purpose is pretty manipulative so okay but kind of the point in terms of this oh yeah by the way uh i had an epiphany a little bit earlier i just didn't want to like shout it out shoot so right so we were talking about like what might be a solution to like the fact because uh liz said this earlier there's kind of these shallow relationships that kind of happen online yes right shoot i think podcasting actually i mean look at literally what's happening here i mean liz i mean we know each other we see each other in person too so fine fair enough but yeah these are facts the people (laughs) the people that we've had on the show for example including liz Mm -hmm. we're able to have a conversation through the internet yeah a long-form conversation not like these little things where you just have like a comment and then somebody reacts and all that right so actually we kind of taken out the shallowness Mm -hmm. by having these conversations and yeah i agree with you like a lot of the guests it's not like we uh communicate with them all the time afterwards or anything like that Mm -hmm. but still that is something on the way to forging those real connections absolutely yeah Mm -hmm. and so we might yeah like you said we might have shifted into finding the solution actually yeah most definitely podcasting is definitely a form of it yeah or it's wishful thinking no no no. Uh, i like to i like to by the way uh (laughs) put every perspective out there on what it is that i might no no i hear you yeah and what i was thinking is also like for my blog so for me in terms of like fostering intimacy like kind of i said before that blogging was just a way for me to kind of you know kind of put those deeper parts of me out there but i think just in general what i found is that so like initially when i started blogging it was pretty much for me so it was you know for catharsis right so i was like if i just kind of spew all the stuff that I'm going through like it'll just be out there and maybe I'll feel better right so kind of little by little I kept getting sort of good feedback and then I realized holy shit like there are all of these other people out there that are going through these same things so then I kind of shifted my perspective well not shifted let me say that it's not true so I kind of added on to my perspective so it became from or it went from let's say just sort of blogging in order to um in order to, uh, let's say, kind of have some level of catharsis or in order to kind of put myself out there just for the sake of it to sort of release those vent or those pent-up parts of me. But then I also realized that if I put myself out there, it'll sort of help people identify with my experiences and realize like, hey, holy shit, I'm not alone in any of this. So mm-hmm. it's sort of like I had the dual kind of or the dual goals of blogging. And so what I think is that like in terms of, yes, podcasting too and then blogging as well, that if we just, if we're, if we become more courageous and more able to reveal those deep 
deeper parts of ourselves that then look we could pretty much do what Liz did and use social media as a kind of platform for more intimate personal relationships where it's like we kind of use it to say like okay you know what it's like kind of entering a pool right I'm going to test the waters a little bit I'm going to share these parts of me that I wasn't able to share in real life with the people around me just to see what the reaction would be that I would get so like in terms of blogging it sort of has the dual kind of um I guess the dual kind of outcome where like with blogging I get a good reaction and then I feel better about myself but then also the person who identifies with me on the other end feels better about him or herself and they think oh holy shit now I can share these parts about myself too and then maybe if we form this deeper connection online we could say you know what let's like have coffee or something one day and like have a conversation because now I don't feel intimidated by you and you could be like yeah I don't feel intimidated by you either because we seem like we're going through the same shit which obviously (laughs) sucks but at least we're not alone in any of it and so it's Mm -hmm. like I think if from my perspective the key to kind of using social media as a platform for let's say alleviating loneliness or fostering community it would literally be vulnerability just being able to share those parts of yourself that make other people go wow oh my god i'm going through the same things yes one one important solution and uh i have i have a few different ones is to utilize social media for what it really should be and it should be a tool Mm -hmm. it's it's incredibly effective as a tool um but the problem is that people use it as a replacement. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that I've I've really been harping on social media a lot, but it's done wonderful things like uh, mobilizing protests. I remember uh, that's the only reason why the Green Revolution in Iran was so successful. Mm-hmm. They mobilized through the internet. Uh, same with the Arab Spring, and I mean, Hong Kong is has some. <clears throat> issues with, I mean, we can get into the the Great Firewall, but mm-hmm. there's a, there's a lot of good if it's if it's if it's harnessed the right way, mm-hmm. and there's also a lot of destructive yeah. ways and, that it can. But and, but what do you think about specifically? Like, what would the strategies be to harness it correctly? Uh, it's helpful simply to limit your use. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was a a study in the Journal of Social and Clinical Psychology Mm -hmm. uh, that was published last year that uh, limiting social media use to 30 minutes a day Mm -hmm. is enough to reduce feelings of loneliness and depression. Oh, wow. And when you have that kind of limited time, Mm -hmm. you try to use it correctly Mm -hmm. instead of just mindless scrolling. Uh, And that's very, uh, that's really the most important first step that you can do. there was this other study done in uh, the American Journal of Preventative Medicine uh-huh. that's um, users that visit social media 50 times a week uh-huh. uh, have like like three times the likelihood of reporting feelings of social isolation. Yeah. And if you have that app on your phone and you just like constantly open it up, you're definitely going to exceed 50 times a week. Uh-huh. Uh, at the least. Is, at the least. Uh-huh. That's really uh, That's really a good first step. And you have to identify what you really want to get out of it. Yeah. Do you want to use it uh, to, for uh, event planning, mm-hmm. for politics, uh, maybe to uh, organize a group? Or are you just posting, like, frivolous stuff? Like what are you like what what are you what are you seeking? Are you really seeking likes? There's one good thing that um, Instagram is getting rid of likes, which I think is really great. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think so too. And I think a really good segue from that is into something that Dr. Craig Malkin, who's a psychologist and expert on narcissism, once said, or he pretty much, he wrote about it in his book, Rethinking Narcissism. So he essentially said for social media to be like, um, or to reach its full potential, what we should do, right? In terms of having it be effective in terms of forming intimacy. He says, look, he says, what I would do for social media is I would limit the contacts that I have on it, right? So I would pretty much have friends and acquaintances on it, not necessarily people I met like a few times or no kind of here and there. Right, but people I'm pretty much, if not in constant contact with, people I'm in frequent contact, frequent contact with. So for him, he said, "Look, he's like, if we were to use social media on the both ends, right?" He said he thinks he thought that it would be really helpful. And what he meant by that was that on the one hand, yes, you would use it to share your successes and your accomplishments, like we already do, right? Because the point is that we as kind of creatures, we want praise and we want validation. The problem is when we are sort of stuck in that place and where all we want is praise and all we want is validation, right? Mm-hmm. So he says 
says on the other end, right, it's okay to share the vulnerabilities too and to share when you aren't sort of happy and when you aren't going through a good period of your life where you're pretty much opening up to people and you're saying, hey, no, 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 it's not that I'm better than you, right? Here are the parts of my life that are essentially bad and here's where I need support and I need help and then you would offer the same thing in return. So it's a sort of more holistic approach to social media where we're using it twofold, right? We're using it obviously. Oh, and by the way, I'm sorry, threefold technically because then on top of getting support from people and getting validation, you're also doing the same thing in return for others. So the point is it becomes this network and this bigger community if, I don't know what Zuckerberg intended obviously, but I'm assuming it's more in line with what his expectation for for Facebook was initially. So for Malkin, he says essentially that we could kind of use it as this community of people that like, because we can't obviously kind of because life is so busy right we can't necessarily get the things that we need out of our communities on a daily basis because we're kind of busy with work family etc so the point is that you use this kind of um, or to foster a kind of broader network with people in order to get the things that you need as a human being but he says be really careful right because you can't literally really just sort of veer into um, one of those pretty much one of those three spectra or not spectrums one of those three um, like points right so he says what happens is that essentially if obviously you only use it for validation then you're a narcissist right and you're Mm. unable to be vulnerable if you only use it to be vulnerable right pretty much you're kind of needy right i'm not sure if he said this part but i definitely think so because there are people who only use it to like complain but then if you then for support you don't really get that nobody just uses it for support unfortunately or at least most people don't to support other people so Mm -hmm. for him he says it's this trifecta that makes it really effective where it's you know you're using it for validation you're using it for support and you're also using it to give praise and to give Give support to other people so therefore it's this big community where there's no reason for there or for it to foster jealousy objectively because technically you're showing the good and the bad parts of your life mm. what do you guys think no honestly i was like whoa oh yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> we just solved yes <laughs> we solved social media <laughs> no i mean i think you pretty much said it i mean uh there has to be a balance yeah more or less right i mean um, I also like the idea of limiting the use to maybe 30 minutes a day because yeah. like Liz said, then you would want to use those 30 minutes well, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that is interesting. Yeah. I actually kind of want to experiment with that now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm better with it at least from an, from the sense of like just how I naturally do it than I used to be, mm-hmm. but I do want to try this. Okay. I'm going to actually experiment with that for a week okay and yes please report back yeah, yeah. i'm gonna report back we should do like, like we'll we'll pick up the next podcast with us that'd yeah. be interesting okay yeah. wow <clears throat> all right i think we've pretty much like nailed the hour okay all right sounds good liz any other big, any other big takeaways from bowling alone or anything else that you've read in terms of stats uh mm, i do have a couple of remarks true um I think we live in a very vulnerable time now, mm-hmm. and I mean, of course, everyone knows how how crazy society is right now, and the news cycle and all of that, and how we do intrinsically crave uh, meaningful connections, mm-hmm. and it's very easy to feel helpless with these like tech behemoths and the media, and how kind of, you know, how how isolated we do feel. We feel like we can't do anything about it. All these forces are bigger than us. Yeah. But you can. Mm-hmm. You really can. As an individual, you have more power than you think. And if we want to come together as a community and be happy and healthy individuals, uh, it really does start with you. And you can just leave the platform if it's not benefiting you. Mm-hmm. And it seems like, like difficult. You might like, you know, intrinsically just go and try to open up your app. And then it's like, Oh wait, like I got rid of it. Mm-hmm. And that will dissipate in a week. And it is entirely possible. Like anyone who can do it, like is able to, I know there's uh, when I was a social media coordinator mm-hmm. and I, uh, got rid of my own personal social media. Mm-hmm. I made a like I had to make like a dummy account just for work. Mm-hmm. And you know there's 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 different workarounds that you can take. Obviously, if you need to promote your business, you can do that. But all of us as a society, like 
we're we're a lot more powerful than we think we are. Yeah. And we can we can we can push back against that kind of toxicity. And if you're still on social media and you want to fight against this toxicity, uh, don't jump on uh, bandwagons. Really think about uh, the implications of cancel culture mm-hmm. and the ability to uh, discuss opinions that you may not like. Uh, because, uh, yeah, getting into cancel culture is a whole other thing, but it's one of the biggest aspects of toxicity online. And if we are only judging somebody from a, like a stupid thing that they wrote, we're kind of losing our sense of humanity. And when you like go on, uh, like a, a cancel campaign or, you're judging someone solely by that, we're losing our sense of compassion and humanity. And uh, we're losing the ability to believe that people can, people are, are capable of change. Yeah. It's, we need to be a lot more kind and forgiving toward each other, especially in, uh, in a, in a, on the internet and on a social media sphere. And another thing, when we get rid of the kind of stigma of limiting our social media use, uh, that will also be, uh, and also be very helpful in kind of breaking the chains of being overly dependent on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've definitely, like, definitely people have thought that me not being on social media was weird mm-hmm. or like fishy or like really you, you don't you don't have anything. There's, there's really nothing weird about it, and kind of judging someone for that kind of personal choice is also very is also very limiting in its in in, in a way, and it's really not. You're basically telling someone that you're not, they're not allowed to be independent and make their own choices, and that's on an individual sphere and it's also a uh, society and the big wigs as a whole saying that you need to be dependent on this certain tool. And, you know, we're going to turn into an episode of black mirror like really soon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if, if we feel like we have no choice, but to kind of go along with a certain mode of communication. Yep. Very, very well said. I mean, yeah, we really should try to understand each other's reasons for doing things. Mm-hmm. If we did understand, if everyone understood each other, yeah. probably be no fighting. Actually, <laughs> most likely, if you if you understood, for example, oh, this person doesn't want to be on social media because it's very draining on their mental resources, all right. of that. Mm-hmm. So then I'd be like, oh, okay, cool, I respect your decision. Yeah. Another person would be like, uh, well, I use social media. I don't find that I have that, uh, you know, uh, relationship to it, mm-hmm. and I use it a little bit. Blah 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 blah. Yeah. And the other person might be like, oh, okay, cool. I respect that, <laughs> you know, and then it's kind of easy. Other, but otherwise, somebody else might be like, "You don't use social media." Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> something's wrong with you, right? And like, why aren't you in, in, with everyone in the group in the safety of the herd, doing mm-hmm. what everyone else is doing? Right. And I think that there's a big difference between shaming something that's unethical or immoral and something that hurts another person, and literally shaming someone for having independence of thought. People yeah, like and- to get over each other on certain things, uh-huh. even like little things that seem stupid on the, mm-hmm. you know, objectively. Right. Yeah. What's up, Liz? Uh, yeah, and I also like, uh, I, I would like uh, look at uh, job postings and stuff, and yeah. it'd be like, oh, like with your application, like include like your uh, LinkedIn. your LinkedIn and your and your Instagram handle, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, why? <laughs> yeah. Like, Talk about an invasion of privacy. Like LinkedIn, yeah, whatever, like- but Instagram, like I ain't giving nobody my Instagram. Yeah, like that's that's some wild stuff. And sometimes yeah, they do that. Was your Instagram? I've seen your Instagram. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what's so funny? There was I don't remember who said this to me, and this was years ago. Somebody was telling me about how they were at a job interview, and so like they told the I don't know it could have been no I don't know if it was you, Liz, but somebody told me this. So they said that like so they went to their employer, and their employer said well potential prospective employer, and the person was like oh like we need like your Facebook, and so the guy's like oh well it's private. And and he's like, oh, no, that's okay. So to give me your password. I was like, what? 
Like somebody literally asked someone for their Facebook password. They're like, yeah, that's cool. They're like you can keep it private. Just give me your password. It's like, wow. Yeah. What do you have to hide? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So wild, man. Yeah. You really shouldn't have access to that kind of info. Yeah. And especially because like my Facebook is private because like my, you, for the most part, my social media is like for the public because obviously I'm a writer. We do the podcast. So like everything, most of what I put out there is for public consumption, but my Facebook is private. Like you actually cannot find me on Facebook because that's literally meant for the people that I actually like really click in touch with. So yeah. yeah, I wouldn't be comfortable with somebody, some like employer saying, Hey, like, Oh, we need Instagram, Twitter, and we need your Facebook password too. You know what we could talk about next time? Because mm. um, Liz said it is another whole thing and actually makes sense to me. Yeah. Uh, cancel culture. Okay. Because we kind of do live in almost like 1984, like an Orwellian. Yes. It, mm. it, it really is very Orwellian now. It's like kind of like the thought police. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, in a way, yeah. Like there's certain things that you can't say. Otherwise, like we won't allow it. Yeah. There's certain words you can't say either. And it's like, and I also, I, I mean, on one level, like certain things that you can't say, it is polite. Not to say certain like bad things, right. but it is definitely debatable because where where are you gonna go with that mm-hmm. eventually, yeah. right? Then there's gonna be more things you can't talk about, and then it's just gonna have its own momentum. It could be. Yeah. I mean, that's, is, a, that's a whole there, topic in itself. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There has been like a recent pushback against woke culture because now people are just like, all right, this is getting like fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so that's a good thing. Yeah. All right, Alan. Final thoughts. That was it. That was it. (laughs) All right. And Liz had her final thoughts. So, I mean, wow, guys, this was a pretty productive show. Yeah. I mean, uh, again, if you you guys want to follow us, follow us at Seize the Moment Podcast on Facebook and and Instagram and on Twitter at Seize underscore podcast. Remember to subscribe. Yeah. Hit the bell. bell. Mm -hmm. And Liz, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being an awesome guest. This was a great show. Thank you. I hope to do it again soon. Absolutely. No, cancel culture. That's next. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's definitely next. That's definitely next. Yeah. We just got to figure out a time for it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right, let's talk soon. Take care. See you. Guys, see you next time.